0: Simeon awoke every morning with the imminent hope that he would see the Messiah. Does that sound like anyone you know? Well, we have an imminent hope that we might see Jesus anytime in that event that we call the rapture of the church. One day, and we don't know how many days it was after Simeon initially received this prophecy, the day came. God the Holy Spirit directed him to the temple. His excitement must have been palpable Undoubtedly, others knew of this prophecy. Seeing Simeon with an extra bounce in his step headed towards the temple, they may even have followed him. There he is, God's Spirit announced. Where? Is it, is it that guy? How about that guy over there? Simeon, he is that 40-day-old in the arms of his teen mother. It's a good bet Simeon figured that when he saw the Messiah, it would be deliver in time, not diaper in time. We're familiar with the Christmas story. We assume Israel was waiting for the baby to be born. They were not. Simeon, however, was anything but disappointed. He blessed the little family, and then he went away fulfilled and hopeful. Throughout the Bible, we find God working in unusual ways that we could never predict. Sending a baby to do a Messiah's job is nothing strange for him. He sent a stutterer, to be his voice to lead the people out of ex- uh, in the exodus out of Egypt. The youngest, least obvious teenager was his choice for king. God almost never does things the way that we would do them, and we're always surprised. His work in our lives will be no less unusual. It is his signature as the craftsman who is completing the good work that he has begun in you. Brother Andrew put it this way, I am a fool for Christ, whose fool are you? Now with that under our belt, let's take this wonderful passage verse by verse, the title of the message, Simon Says, Wait. Father, thank you so much for this text. We want to really see Simon, or Simeon, Lord, rather, uh, as uh, he uh, held on to this promise and came before you, uh, wondering and, and wanting, Lord, and waiting what a blessing, Lord, that, that we can also receive from him and share in his excitement, and even more so, Lord, knowing more of the story. And so guide us this morning as we go through the word. We thank you in Jesus' name, and those who agreed said, amen. By the way, if someone needs to count how many times I say Simon when I mean Simeon, okay? So, so don't, I don't want to see any elbowing. He's doing it again, I think. Uh, how come G, G, Pastor Gino isn't grabbing him? But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I, it's just, you You know, Simeon, Simon, who knows? <laughs> Simeon says, wait, do you think of little baby Jesus as boss baby? An <laughs> infant with the mind of an adult? We sing, Mary, did you know? The better question might be, Jesus, what did you know? The subject of how Jesus processed the world as an infant isn't really discussed in scripture. The only appropriate verses I can think of are in the Gospel of Luke when uh, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, who was John the Baptist, leapt when Mary came to visit her. Uh, He and cousin Jesus were definitely not normal babies, but what was exactly going on and how much they perceived, uh, we can't know. If we're careful, I think we can make a few suggestions as to how Jesus would look back On his infancy. And so, beginning in verse 22, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. The law God gave to Moses when Israel exodus out of Egypt required Jesus be circumcised and be presented as their firstborn, and it was also necessary to bring an offering for Mary's purification after childbirth. Jesus would be 40 days old when Simeon encountered him in the temple. As a newborn, Jesus kept every requirement the law uh, you know, demanded thanks to the obedience of his parents. Joseph and Mary. We're informed in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience. It means that he was fully immersed in being a human being. He was a Jew and must obey the law. He would, throughout his lifetime, perfectly obey God and the law of God, first with the needed assistance of godly parents, then on his own. It's a little bit remarkable to think about this infant fulfilling prophecy uh in a, in a dependent way uh depending on Mary and Joseph i mean god the whole thing doesn't the, the whole christian thing seems so frail doesn't it that it could crumble in a moment and yet god by his powerful providence sees it through and so jesus even as a baby while a baby had to be obedient to the law and he was through his parents Both in the womb and now 40 days having emerged from it, the Lord had not only fulfilled prophecies of his virgin birth, but was perfect. He learned to walk in holiness before he learned to crawl as a toddler. And behold, verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. In the Gospel of John, we're told that Jesus came to his own, meeting the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He came as their consolation, which is another word for the Messiah, another description of the Messiah. His own, however, received him not. That's an understated way of reporting that they hated him and they had him crucified. Toward the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus lamented over the Jews in Jerusalem. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Every Jew could have been a Simeon, looking forward to the coming of their Messiah and trusting in what the Lord was doing. Jesus is the Savior of all men, especially those who believe, He draws all men to himself by the agency of the cross. God is not willing that any perish, but that all come to eternal life. And whoever believes in him, whoever, whosoever, will not perish but have that everlasting life. The leadership at the time hardened their hearts and resisted the grace of God. God's grace is resistible. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, substantiated that when he accused these same Jews saying, you always resist the Holy Spirit. And so uh, not everyone is saved, but everyone can be saved. God's grace is not some irresistible force that only saves certain individuals. It is resistible, uh, and we see people resist it and harden their hearts throughout the Bible. There was Simeon and others like him, believers, this would greatly encourage Jesus in his mission later on just as it would any of us with a mission to find faithful followers who were obeying the Lord. Simeon was just and devout, the two words summarize his walk on the earth. Towards men he was motivated to do what was just, your bible might say righteous. He he acted rightly among people. He was fair, honest, you could do business with him and trust him. Uh, you know he had, he was a man of integrity, is what that means. And towards God he was devoted above all persons or things. Uh, God really was number one in his life. It's always a good idea to reflect upon your love for God. It can easily wane as we wait for Him. Not always out of disobedience. I mean, you figure, okay, if I sin. Then obviously, uh, you know, my love is is drawing back from the Lord. But a lot of times, it's it's not disobedience; it's overactivity, it's zealousness, it's uh, it's working that uh, our dust of uh, you know the zeal of our dust is serving Him, and yet we leave Him in in the in the past. Man, that was a bad sequence for me there. The church in Ephesus loved Jesus, right? They loved him so much, and and, and they worked for him, and they did all kinds of great things. And Jesus said, hey, guys, the dust that you're kicking up, it's wonderful, but you've left your first love. You you guys aren't really loving me like you ought to. Uh, And so uh, it's a good thing for us to check in on our love for the Lord. Uh, You know, a lot of times, well, I'm not doing much for the Lord. Uh, I might not love him as much as I could. Or you might say, hey, I'm doing all of this, but is it for the Lord? Or is it for some other reason? As for your neighbor, Jesus told a parable, told the parable of the good Samaritan so that we would not ask who is my neighbor, but whose neighbor am I? Uh, I love the Lord turning that around. Uh, the, the Jews were trying to limit who was their neighbor. And so you know, Jesus said, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, I've got three neighbors, so I can handle that. Jesus said, now you're kind of missing out. Check out this story about a Samaritan who helped a Jew who had been beaten on the road. No, they weren't expecting that. They certainly wouldn't help a Samaritan who'd been beaten. In fact, they, Jews went by him and didn't help a Jew. And so the Lord was saying, hey, everyone is your neighbor. Whoever you can show my love to is your neighbor. And uh, Simeon was that kind of guy. He loved the Lord and he loved uh, people. Consolation, I don't like that word. I immediately think of a consolation prize for losers, right? Oh, we're the consolation of Israel. Yeah, what a loser. Or we describe someone as inconsolable. Uh, you know, Maybe you talk to somebody and, and you say, hey, how was your talk with so-and-so? They were very consolable. Well, no, have you ever said that? I hope not. It's, it sounds weird. But you might say they were absolutely inconsolable. And so we have a struggle with that word, but Simeon was using it hopefully. The nation would be consoled when the deliverer came. He would deliver them from the oppression of other nations. More importantly, he would deliver Jews and Gentiles from the oppression of the malevolent ruler of this world of sin and of death. And so verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We think of Simeon, I think, as an old man, but there's nothing in the text that gives his age. We have no idea how old he was, or how long he had been waiting. He lived, though, in that state of imminence we talked about earlier. The Messiah might appear any moment. Imminence is a big thing to us, because Jesus could return any moment to resurrect the dead in Christ and nearly simultaneously rapture living believers. So let me give you a little aside this morning. The, uh, we, we believe here in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. We believe that Jesus is coming imminently to rapture uh, the church, resurrect, uh, you know, the dead in Christ, rapture living believers uh, before any part of the great tribulation. That is a valid belief in eschatology, which is the study of prophecy. There are other beliefs. Uh, Other people believe different things. What you believe about the end times isn't a deal breaker in terms of, you know, uh, walking with the Lord. Yet, the, uh, what I've noticed lately is the pre-tribula- pre-tribulation rapture position is coming under fire. A lot of people criticizing it, uh, and uh, the two major criticisms are these. One is that it's never taught by the early church fathers. For about a thousand years, there's no reference to it in the early church fathers, you know, when you're reading those guys. Uh, first of all, that's not true. There are references, we, um, scholars I, I could pick out like Michael Spiegel and Tommy Ice and all, they've, they've read the early church fathers and they find sections that talk about the imminent return of Jesus. And when you bring these up to some people, they say, no, it doesn't say that. And so it's, uh, it's one of these, it's true because I say so. And so it's not true. So if, if somebody comes up to you and says there's no talk of the rapture you know, until the 1800s when some crazy guy named Darby got this idea, you know, it kind of deflates you, and you think, wow, this is serious. It's not. There, there is mention of it. Uh, but uh, the further thing is this. Let's say it's not mentioned in the Bible, or not in the Bible, rather. Let's say it's not mentioned by the early church, right? You know what hardly is mentioned by the early church until the 1500s? The doctrine of the justification by faith. The, the foundational doctrine of the Reformation, justification by faith, isn't really developed by the early church fathers until the time of Luther, and th- so I guess we could say that that's a false doctrine as well. Well, it's not; it's foundational. And so you understand uh, there is no problem with being uh, believing in the pre-tribulation rapture. It's biblical, first of all. You know, we can teach it from the Bible. That's the most important thing. But it's also historical, uh, and and there's really no argument that would completely wipe it out all right so just maybe you're thinking gene why do i need to know this maybe you don't uh but one of these days some friend of yours or you're going to be online and people are going to start to hammer this and you just need to know that um they're wrong (laughs) be gentle with them we can snicker all we want on the way up uh It had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord. It seems that it was widely known that the Holy Spirit had revealed him this marvelous promise. In that way, it was a shared promise. Everyone was looking for the Messiah to come, knowing that he was coming before Simeon uh, died. And so verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. Maybe the Holy Spirit gave him a strong impression to go to the temple that day. Maybe he had a dream or a vision or a prophecy. Maybe another God-fearing believer received the message from the Lord to give to Simeon. Or perhaps a bunch of seemingly random coincidences suddenly seemed to him to be God's providential direction. God the Holy Spirit is in one sense multilingual, especially when it comes to communicating in unusual non-linguistic ways. He especially likes to sign things to you. Throughout our walk with Jesus, we're going to learn SSL, Spirit Sign Language, right? Because he's showing us things. Now, we don't always see them. If you're not receiving anything from the Holy Spirit, one possibility, and probably the top possibility, is that you're not listening for him. All of us understand the husband who doesn't really listen to his wife. Especially during football season, honey. Uh-huh. Can you uh, come out here for a minute? Uh-huh. The kitchen's on fire. Okay. Whoa! Look at that. And, and so you know, it's just a, it's a standard meme, or you know, the situation where you're talking to somebody and you know they're not paying attention. You start saying crazy stuff like that. Uh, what time is lunch? Uh-huh hey, is that an alien vessel? Well, yeah. Look, it's Dr. Strange. You know, that kind of thing. And so it's, we all don't pay attention sometimes, right? And so that's all I'm saying. It's not a big rebuke. But we don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit. A first step to listening for him is to believe he speaks to you. Now, we have to be careful, I guess, because conservative scholars, they like all of a sudden everybody gets all buttoned up. What do you mean God speaks to you? (laughs) He speaks through the word. That's it. Uh, All right. All right. So he speaks through the word. What has he said to you recently? Oh, not much. But, you know, the, the Holy Spirit speaks the same way he did in the book of Acts. And I would recommend this is a good exercise. Go through the book of Acts and see the multiple ways the Holy Spirit spoke to the apostles and the disciples. And he's still doing that today. Prayer meeting at Antioch. Paul is there with Barnabas and it says, the Holy Spirit said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. Doesn't say how he spoke. It's clear that he uh, communicated in a way that they all understood. Ananias, God spoke to him and he said, hey, this guy Paul who came to kill you, I want you to go pray for him. And Ananias argued a little bit, wanted clarification, but he obeyed the Lord. Peter received a waking vision that it was okay to eat non-kosher food. And then God sent him to the household of Cornelius. Uh, And so the Lord uh, has a lot of different ways of revealing things to you. And once you know that he speaks to you, or, or, you know, believe that he does, and you see some of the ways he can... Uh, I think you'll start hearing things that are wonderful, and they will never, ever, ever contradict anything he said in his word. Okay, so you've got his word as a guide. We're not talking about becoming crazy, you know, message receiving individuals who, you know, say that you know God made me do this. Uh, but the Lord speaks to us, and he directs us, and we need to catch that again. Satan is the ruler of this earth. From the garden of Eden forward he has been trying to stop the coming of the Messiah with all of his many resources both natural and supernatural how easy would it be to simply kill the promised Christ as an infant right and and thinking about God you're involved in a cosmic warfare with a supernatural being very powerful He's got a third of the angels with him. He's got principalities and powers and the rulers of darkness. He's over the nations of the earth. I know what we'll do. We'll send a baby. That's what's going to turn the tide. And, of course, the devil did try to kill Jesus uh, on different occasions. Most notably, he incited brutal King Herod to put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the visit of the wise men. Now, uh, real quick, I'll take a a minute to say this. Secular scholars try to discredit the slaughter of the infants by saying there's no historical record of it. One may yet be found. We agree, there, there seems to be no historical record, not in Josephus, not anywhere else. One may be found, it may not. But without minimizing this event at all, Mathematicians have calculated the likely number of male children in Bethlehem and its districts who would have met Herod's criteria using population demographics of that time. Just in your mind, you don't have to shout it out, but how many cho- how many infants do you think would have been slaughtered meeting the criteria of Bethlehem and its districts under 2 years old? The answer is maybe 12. Now, is that significant? Absolutely. It was a slaughter of infants. But 12, not exactly newsworthy when you're dealing with a despot who got up in the morning trying to figure out which of his family members he should kill that day. I mean, Herod was a wicked, cruel man, and 12 babies being slaughtered by him wouldn't even be on the radar. Uh, and so uh, absolutely this happened, and, um, you know, we, it was terrible. Uh, But at the same time, we don't need to have a record of it outside of God's word. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Now, I can't speak for Simeon, but I know what I've thought. When I saw the deliverer, I'd be expecting deliverance. An infant deliverer meant at least decades more of waiting to be free from Rome. Think Moses. Moses was the deliverer of Israel right for 400 years the children of Israel cried out to God and then he said okay I've heard you I'm sending the deliverer in about 80 years he'll be ready that's that's you know Lord I wish you wouldn't do things so so weirdly sometimes but he did and and you read the stories and you see how necessary that it was now this is the third time our attention is drawn to God the Holy Spirit We saw in verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon him. In verse 26, the Holy Spirit revealed things to him. And in verse 27, the Holy Spirit came. God's Spirit, notice, did not indwell Simeon. The indwelling of God's Holy Spirit is a gift promised to believers in the church age. Jesus promised that those who believed in him would receive the Spirit of God permanently. This includes all believers. So if you're a believer... The Holy Spirit indwells you, he is a person, he indwells you fully or not at all. You can't just have a part of the Spirit, right? If he is a person, he indwells you fully. And that means you don't need to seek him per se, because he lives in you. Now, I'm not saying that we don't uh, pant after the watering brook as the heart, you know, and the deer, or that we don't, you know, pursue God. That's not the issue here. The idea is that the Holy Spirit is not a power we just tap into and that we kind of get discharged from and need to rev up again. He is a person that is always in us, always as powerful from moment to moment. I always like the comic book Green Lanterns, right? I don't know if you remember the Green Lanterns. They're an intergalactic peacekeeping force who they receive superpowers from wearing a Green Lantern ring. I I think I had a Green Lantern ring when I was a kid uh, from the comic books and, you know, you'd send away for it. The world has changed. You you probably get get them, probably if I, just talking about it right now to my iPad, Amazon's bringing me one right now, you know. (laughs) Back in the day, you had to read the back of the comic book and after you got from the x-ray glasses and the sea monkeys and, uh, you know, those kinds of things, you could send away for the Green Lantern ring and, you know, your parents would put like a dollar and a half in an envelope, like a paper dollar, you know, and stuff and fill out this coupon that was the size of a postage stamp and and about six months later, (laughs) your Green Lantern ring would come. But anyway... A green lantern charges his ring using energy from a Tesla battery that resembles an old-fashioned lantern made of dark green metal. It has to be recharged every 24 hours. Then there's Our Man. Seriously, anybody remember Our Man from the Justice Society? No? He was one of my favorites because I thought uh, it was hopeful. He was Rex Tyler who created Miraclo. Which granted him super strength and endurance. It was a pill, but only for one hour. Do you think of God the Holy Spirit as if he is a power source that wears off and needs replenishing? I think a lot of Christians do, or maybe all Christians in some sense do every now and then. It's like, hey, I need more of the Spirit. If you and I need more of the Spirit, we, He lives inside of us, so that means we just need to what? Yield more of ourselves to Him. We don't have to find Him. He's not hiding. He doesn't have to be conjured up or drawn in by our much worshiping. Uh, he, he lives in us. And the sooner we get a, a handle on that, the more we will be able to obey because He is the one who enables and empowers our obedience. Uh, and so what it's a huge blessing I mean, that's a stupid thing to say. It's so much bigger than that. To to live in the church age in which we have the permanent indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit. Verse twenty-eight. He took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon wasn't a priest or a Levite. Joseph and Mary were far uh, from far away. They probably didn't know Simeon. He was a complete stranger to them. Do you think this was an awkward moment in which Simeon wanted their baby? Has this ever happened to you as a parent? Oh, what a beautiful baby. Let me hold your baby. We had that happen several times. You have to beat these people off with a stick. Old women with crooked noses and apples. Is your baby. I don't want anybody holding my baby. I don't want people I know holding my baby. I don't even hold babies. Babies freak me out. My wife held our babies, you know. I watched them from a distance grow. But, uh, no, that's partly true. But anyway, so this is just weird, right? I mean, so, okay, you know, this guy's going to... And again, he may not have been a wizened old man. He might have just been a guy, you know, like hanging around the temple as far as they were concerned. Again, I want to stress I have no idea what Jesus perceived... But this is a marvelous moment for him on the earth. A human being who is waiting for his coming held him in his hands, the fulfillment of a promise 4,000 years old. Lord, now, verse 29, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. There's nothing to indicate Simeon died soon thereafter. I guess when I don't read this in a discerning way, I figure he held the baby, handed him off, stroked out, and and that was it, you know. (laughs) Because that would be dramatic. But he may have lived a long time. And if he did, he had to transition in ministry. For however long his ministry had been, I'm the guy who teaches imminence to this community because I'm going to see the Messiah before I die. And then that's all taken away from you. And he has to uh, transition into something else. Tuck that away. There there are times in, in your life... In your Christian walk, whether it's ministry or otherwise, you're going to have to transition into something else. And so, don't hold on to something that God is done with or closed with. In the year, you know, we've been here what 37 years now. We've done everything at least once. We've tried everything, and and some things are successful, and some things are not so successful. And even some successful ministries end after a while. And it's hard. It's hard for me, it's hard for the people involved to transition into something else and to follow the Lord that way. And so, uh, but sometimes that's the way it is. Peace came from Simeon, realizing God kept his word. In Star Trek, The Wrath of Khan, Kirk asked Khan something like, how do I know you'll keep your word? And Khan says, I've given no word to keep. I love that line. <laughs> Ricardo Montalbam with his fake chest, he's just, you know, and just... This is a great scene. God has given his word to keep in these 66 marvelous books inspired by the Holy Spirit. God keeps his word. Everything we need for living in a godly way is found between its covers or in your Bible app. I couldn't figure out whether it's, you know, zeros and ones or something clever for that. But somewhere uh, on your, you know, device is a Bible app that has everything you need to live for godliness it's not a chemistry book, the Bible isn't a mathematical book, it, it, you know, it's not a science book per se. It doesn't contradict any of those things, and oftentimes it leads scientists and archaeologists and such to discoveries, uh, but you know, we, it's really for life and godliness, to live a godly life. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It's interesting, Simeon says Jesus will bring revelation to the Gentiles, then he says the glory of Israel. It seems out of order, doesn't it? Because when Jesus came, he came to the Jew first, right? But this is the exact order of how things actually worked out. In his first coming, rejected by his own, Jesus had to put Israel on hold for a while while the gospel goes out to the Gentiles. In his second coming, all Israel will be saved. And so this is the precise timing that is noticed by Simeon, probably without knowing it, he'd bring revelation to the Gentiles and then the glory of Israel. Verse 33, Joseph and his mother marveled at these things which were spoken of him. Make note that Luke says Joseph and his mother, using the wording that would be appropriate since she, uh, since Jesus was born while she was a virgin. He was not the Lord's father. And so it's a very careful use of words here. Parents, have you ever felt inadequate raising children? And that's a rhetorical question, by the way. Uh, it's tough. How inadequate must Joseph and Mary have felt to raise Jesus in light of so much expectation upon him? I mean, can you imagine in the afternoon, all this happens, and then they're going you know, back home. Mary has to say, Joe... She called him Joe. <laughs> Joe, uh, what are we going to do? Wh- what do you mean, hon? We have people coming up to us in the temple, grabbing our child and saying he's the Messiah, telling me I'm going to get my sword, the, my heart pierced by a sword. I mean, this is going to be hard. It's hard enough that I'm a teen mom and nobody believes that Uh, I you know Jesus was virgin born I love you but you're just a carpenter you're just a craftsman how do we raise the Messiah wow I never thought about it before best they could hope for was that he could grow up to be a godly craftsman but they knew the Lord right and they were obedient to the Lord They trusted Jesus to God. Chip Ingram said this, Remember that you are not called to produce successful, upwardly mobile, highly educated, athletically talented machines. Giving your children great opportunities is good. It is not, however, the goal of parenting. Christ-likeness is. Above all, seek to raise children who look and act a lot like Jesus. Verse 34, Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. David Guzik writes, he says, The fall and rising of many would be shown in the way Peter repented, but Judas despaired. In that one thief blasphemed, the other believed. Jesus is like a magnet that is attractive to some, but others are repelled from him. Jesus was a sign, it says here, which could be translated target. It's like our phrase, he had a target on his back. And that's true. Jesus was born to die. And he had a target on his back, you know, and and the devil was aiming for it. uh, And probably thought he had it made. But God, through his providence, always was one step ahead of Satan. He must be the most frustrated person in all the uh, universe, Right? I mean, he can't kill a baby. With all of his power and might and, and malevolence and all, he couldn't kill a human baby. And, and God, again, it's, it's fantastic for me to think that that was God's strategy to, to you know, to, to work through a baby and to not even hide the baby. You know, you've watched shows where this baby, we have to hide this baby. This baby has to grow up, otherwise the entire world's going to be decimated by some queen or king or something like that. God says, no, here he is, shepherds, here we go, angels are singing in the heavens, Simeon is there, Anna is there, people are, you know, praising him and stuff, and the devil can't do anything about it. It's, It's amazing to me, the joy of our salvation. Mary would be more than heartbroken, a sword would pierce her heart. She was in a unique situation, right? Uh, the only uh, one who would ever bring forth the Messiah. Uh, and, you know, she, Even if you have suffered loss, no one could come up to Mary and say, hey, I know what you're going through. Yeah, I, I don't think you do. I don't think you understand what I've been through and what I'm going through now. Multiple commentators note that there are four main lessons we learn from Simeon. If you like to outline things, uh, they go like this. We wait, we watch, we worship, and we work. Uh, now, if you, do you ever worry if you're going to get called on to do a, uh, you know, a surprise Bible study? No? You should. But <laughs> I'm going to give it to you right here. So you write in your Bible or on your app, you say, okay, Simeon, here's a couple of notes I took down. He, he teaches us to wait, to watch, to worship, and to work. That'll get you 15 minutes easy, right? And, uh, and people say, wow, that was fantastic. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, been... Simeon says yes to each of those. I encourage you to read and reread this story with the characteristics in mind that I mentioned. Ask the Lord to reveal your progress or your regress in each of them. And then yield yourself to his leading in order to wait, watch, worship, and work in your walk. All right? Amen.